you'll open the Bible to the Gospel of Luke in chapter number one. We'll be there in a little bit. Luke chapter one. Now, if you've picked up your bulletin and looked at all, I have said in the bulletin that this December, we're doing something we've never done in the pulpit, from the pulpit. Each December, we do have a theme. John and I try to think through what would be a good theme for our sermons in December. And this year, actually, John came up with the idea. He called me one day and said, what would you think about if we preached every sermon in December about angels? I said, we're going to preach about angels. I said, well, to be honest, I've never really thought about it. I said, what do you have in mind? He said, well, you know, when we think about the Christmas sermons, you're always talking about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and, you know, Bethlehem and no room and all that. He said, but actually, angels are a big part of the Christmas story. He said, let's think about it. And we did. And uh and then uh, we kind of picked where we would start and stop, and whatever. So I'm excited about it. Now, before we get into the sermon today, I think it would be interesting. I'll never know, but you can know. I want to ask you a question or two about angels. And you just answer to yourself. First of all, it's a good question. Do you believe in angels? You know, I thought about, we're going to be preaching about angels all this time. Like, I wonder, the people at church, do they believe in angels? Well, it's interesting. They're mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. So if you believe the Bible, you certainly would believe in angels. In fact, in Hebrews, in chapter 12, it says there's an innumerable number of angels. And and your translation says there's thousands upon thousands of angels. And, and And then when you think about angels, you're in Luke, but turn back to the book of Job. I want to show you a verse or two. The easy way to find Job is to go to Psalms. That's easy. We all know how to get to Psalms and back up one book and you'll be in Job. Go to Job chapter 38. I want to show you something. We're talking about, do you believe in angels? Are there angels? Well, yes, there are. In fact, God created the angels. Now, listen to this. He created the angels before he even made the universe. And one place we see this is in Job chapter 38. Look down, begin with verse number four. Now, Job... God's been silent, if you're reading through the book of Job, till you come to chapter 38, and God interrupts all that has been said, and here's something God says. He asked Job some rhetorical questions. Now, rhetorical questions, that means you don't expect an answer. You ask rhetorical questions to make a point, to get people's attention. And look what he said, Job chapter 38, verse, verse 4. He asked Job, he said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what was its foundation fastened? Oh, who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, the morning stars and, and the sons of God refer to angelic beings. So what, what God is saying, he is saying, before I even created the universe, while the angels, as I was doing so, they were singing and they were praising. They already were in existence. So the question is, do you believe in angels? Now, not everybody believes in angels, okay? 
But if you believe the Bible is the Word of God, well, there's no question there are angels. Now, let me ask you this question. Now, this, is a, this will be a lot of different answers, but do you believe every believer has a personal guardian angel? Like some people believe that. Some people say, I don't believe that. Well, uh, what do you, how do we come to some conclusion on that? Well, turn over to Matthew, if you will. I want you to turn with, I will at least show you the verse. Time won't let me do all I wish I could, but turn to Matthew chapter 18, and I'll show you the verse. It's the key verse people would go to that believe that every one of us has a guardian angel. I mean, there's no right and wrong answer to that because we really can't prove completely. But, but let me show you the verse. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. Matthew 18, Jesus had been talking about little children. But he comes down to verse 10 and he has this parable of the lost sheep. And he said, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven... Their angels, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, the angels have their face turned toward God, so when God gives instructions, they can proceed. Now, that would be the verse that people would go to that say, I believe that, uh, that I have a personal guardian angel. Well, uh, let me just say what I believe about that verse. That's not what that verse teaches. It teaches something better than that, I believe. Now, you can believe whatever you wish about it. It, it, it teaches, and the Bible teaches, that believers, the believers are served by angels in general. In other words, you know, maybe we have a personal guardian angel, maybe we don't. But, but here's, here's the, what Scripture would seem to me to say is that God, you know, God has angels, thousands upon thousands of angels, and, and some do one thing and some do another. And so we, we, we can have a peace in knowing whatever we go through that the angels of God are doing whatever God is telling them to do. Well, one other little question about angels, and you'll know the answer to this. Well, you may not. Have you ever seen an angel? Have you ever seen an angel? It'd be good if we could just have everybody stand up and answer that one. I mean, there may be some here today that say, you know, well, there's a verse. You might want to just jot it down. We're not turn to it. But in Hebrews, in chapter 13, verse 2, the Bible says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels. Have you ever seen an angel? Well, John told me last week, and I asked him if I could tell this, and he said, I'd rather you not. I'm about to tell it. <laughs> you know, it's okay. I thought it was a very good point. He said, we were talking about this very thought. Have you ever seen an angel? He said, you know, some years ago in a private time that I had with Dr. Kendall, out of the blue, he said, Dad, Dr. Kendall asked me, John, have you ever seen an angel? And he said, we weren't even talking about angels. That just came out of nowhere. And he said, I thought a moment, and I said, well, not to my knowledge. And he said, Dr. Kendall said, right answer, right answer. Have you ever seen an angel? Well, maybe so. But like we may have seen angels, and we didn't know we were seeing an angel. 
That verse in Hebrews is a very, very important verse. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels. Well, we'll, we'll just leave it there. Now, our scripture today is very, very interesting scripture. It actually is kind of like the introduction to the Christmas story. Because the same angel that told Mary that she was going to have a baby, she was going to give birth to Jesus, angel Gabriel is the same angel that we're going to read about this morning that told Zacharias that his wife Elizabeth, both of which he and she were very old, and the Bible says she was unable to have children. And the angel Gabriel one day said to him, Elizabeth's going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. And of course, we know him as John the Baptist, and he was like the forerunner of Jesus. So turn with me in Luke, if you would, in Luke chapter number one, and I want us to look at what Scripture has to say about this story. It's a very, very great portion of Scripture. In Luke chapter one, beginning with verse number five, says, there was, there was in the day of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Now, let me stop a moment and say, if you have uh, some translation beside the New King James, probably, you're reading a different name. You're reading the name Zechariah. Now, I'm reading by the New King James, and it says Zacharias has a different name. Now, Zacharias was the Greek name for this man. The name that you may see in your Bible, Zechariah, is the Hebrew name. So the translators, some use the Greek name, some use uh, the Hebrew name, but we're talking about this man. But I'm going to refer to him as Zacharias because that's what the scripture says from the translation I'm reading. It says, there was this man named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughters of Aaron, of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, both these, Zacharias and Elizabeth, both come from priestly families. They were, verse 6 says, both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people, they were praying outside at the hour of incense. So you had Zacharias praying inside. All the people are praying outside. And then look in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, you know, normally angels are invisible. But there are times angels are visible, and we see both in Scripture. Here, this angel, and we'll learn in a moment, his name is Gabriel, he becomes visible. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And watch this. 
and you will have joy and gladness. Well, obviously, there they were, unable to have children. Now they're going to have a child. Well, they're thrilled to death. And then it goes on to say, and many will rejoice at his birth. Well, that's what we do as family and friends. When a family or friend has baby in their family, well, there's just joy. But look in verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, if you're a Bible underliner, I wish you underline that phrase because that's the phrase we're going to be working from this morning. This angel told Zacharias, not only is Elizabeth going to have a baby, it's going to be a boy, and his name's going to be John, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's going to have power like Elijah had to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. Let me stop a moment and say, in the Bible, you read about angels. Anytime you read an angel and the name of the angel is given, listen carefully. That angel always will do the same thing. Gabriel was the announcer. And when you read about Gabriel, he's always announcing something. And of course, John will get to us when he announced to Mary about Jesus. And so here he is. His name is Gabriel. And he says, this Gabriel stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute, Zacharias, and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered uh, so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned, that is, he made gestures to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now, Zacharias goes back home. Now, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among my people. Well, Lord, that's a beautiful portion of Scripture. It really kind of introduces us to what we'll focus about the birth of Jesus all month. But God, you've put on my heart some things to share from this that will help all of us, God, be able to look at our lives and, and God, God will be pleased with us, I pray, and that we might, it might be said of each of us that we are great in the sight of the Lord. Let us see how to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have your bulletin, we'll just kind of work from there. You know, as I look at it, I want you to go back with me to verse 14 again, verse 15. The angel said to Zacharias about 
John who would be born, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And as I just continued to prepare the sermon and pray over the scripture, that little phrase seemed to me be the key thing for us today in here. You know, how was he going to be great? Well, as we read on in the verses here, we see, first of all, every believer, that's you, me, all of us, should have an enthusiastic desire in personal separation to God. And that's what we see in Zacharias. In other words, if you look back at that verse 15, the angel said he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Now you say, well, how's he going to do that? Well, first of all, he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Now, you have to remember that in this day, that would have really said something to Zacharias because that's part of what we know in Scripture as the Nazarite vow. And you may want to just jot this down. The Nazarite vow, we read about it in Numbers chapter 6. And it was a vow, unless you were born into it, Samson was, John the Baptist was, but others, it was a voluntary thing where people said, I'm going to, it'd be very similar to what we do in fasting. What do we do in fasting? We we deny things that we would say are pleasurable and things that we enjoy, but we do that for the purpose of spending that time and energy to be more focused on God. So let's say we don't eat a meal or we don't eat for one day or two days or three days, but it's not the not eating part. It's what we do instead of that. We spend that time being uh, drawn more to God. Now the Nazarite vow, it said, and, and, and it was not, it was normally something It might be very short term, maybe a month. It could be shorter, it could be a little longer. But now for Samson and John the Baptist, that was not the case. Theirs was not voluntary. This was what God determined. Well, number one, they would never drink any, any wine or strong drink in the Nazarite vow. They would never cut their hair. It, when they were going through this separation period, whether it be a week or two or three or a month, and number three, they'd have no contact with a dead body. Those were just things involved in the Nazarite vow. So what, what people did, they separated from these things so they could be connected more with God. And, and the point here is, is not that we're to take a Nazarite vow. The, the point is not the specific. The point is the spirit of it. There should be in your life, in my life, an enthusiastic desire to do what? To separate ourselves from things that would keep us from being close to and focused on God and what he has for our life. We might say it this way. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to separate from some things of the world in order to be more committed and be closer drawn to God. And it, the key is that enthusiastic desire. It's not like we make rules and say, that's what you call legalism. And there, there, are, many, there are many sincere Christian people that are legalists. And I'll tell you about a legalist. They'll always be miserable, and most of the time they're mad. 
And that's a bad way to live life, miserable and mad. They say, yeah, but I'm, I'm obeying everything God says I'm going to do and should do. But they, they don't have a desire to do it. That's why God says about giving, God loves a cheerful giver. It, it's, it's that inside of us, there's that enthusiastic desire, not that, hey, I've, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to tithe. I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. Now, I'm telling you, you'll be miserable if that's how your Christian life is, and you'll be mad much of the time, and you'll never, you'll never be blessed like you would be if there's that desire in you. Um, uh, I, I love that verse in, in Psalm 37, 4, that, that tells us that God will give us the desires of our heart. He'll, he'll put his desire in us so his desire becomes our desire. So bottom line, I just encourage you this morning, if, if you're not enthusiastic about the things of God, you know, if you, you, need to, you need to ask God to help you at that point. And probably what will have to happen you're going to have to separate from some things. I've said before, and, and this, this is a, maybe not a good example, but for me it worked. I saw in my life some years ago that I was spending more time in the morning reading the newspaper than reading the Bible. I love reading the newspaper. I'm just fascinated with it. I, probably nobody but me and a few old folks read the paper anymore. You know, people read their phone and, and all kind of things. But, but, but one day I became so convicted with that, I said, I'm going to quit subscribing to the newspaper. That's one way I'll not read it. And I have, I have actually, I've lived okay ever since. I've not had a heart attack or anything by that. And uh, I do keep up now what's going on. But, but the point, is, it's not that the newspaper is evil. I'm not saying that. It could be one of a multitude of things. Things that, that we need to separate from that are keeping us from being what we need to be in our relationship with God. That enthusiastic desire is the key. If you don't have it, I mean, if, if you don't have a, a, a gladness about coming to church, there's just something not right. If you don't have a gladness about reading the Bible, there's just something not right. And it's, it's that way all through the whole journey. And that's one of the things we learn. Well, let me tell you a second thing. Every believer should have a, an enthusiastic desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look again in verse 14, 15, excuse me. He said, he will be great inside of the Lord. He shall neither drink wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. There ought to be a desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Someone says, well, why would I want to be, why would I have a desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you exactly why. <laughs> if, if, if you're serious about trying to live the Christian life, facing all the things and temptations we face in life. And you're trying to do it in your own strength and might and intellect. You, you're you're going you're gonna to be as depressed as some may be over the ball game last, yesterday afternoon or last night or whatever. You, you see, the fact is you can't live the Christian life in a, in a victorious, abundant way without the in filling the Holy Spirit. Without being filled with the Holy Spirit, you just don't have it in you to do everything you need to do. Uh, it, it's, it's just like the, it's like the 
your, your car trucks run out of gas. There's just, there's just, it's just not there. It won't run. And old flesh can just do what flesh can do for so long, but flesh will finally play out. And we have to have that desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We, we, you know, the Holy Spirit's very sensitive. And when we have thoughts or words or things that are lived in a way that is not pleasing to God, it, it, it's, like, it's like the doves. Just, we don't lose the Holy Spirit. We just lose that closeness of the Holy Spirit. He's not in every room. We just let him in some rooms, but not every room. Well, that's not how. Or don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything. Be Quench is like putting water on a fire to put the fire out. You can quench the Holy Spirit. But inside of you, we, we need to, you know, I prayed it this morning. God, if ever, ever, ever today, I need every part of me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's between now and noontime today, God, I'm preaching. And I need more than I have without you. And so do you. And I, I just encourage you, have a, an enthusiastic desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask God to show you anything in your life that is blocking his spirit from having every part of your life. And listen to what he says and his spirit will show it's a beautiful thing. But I'll tell you what else. This is, this is how, how is he going to be great in the sight of the Lord? <laughs> well, every believer should have an enthusiastic desire to turn people to Jesus. Look in verse 16. The Bible says, angel still telling uh, Zacharias about this son, John. He said, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. You know, there should be an, a, a desire in your life in my life, in every believer's life, to turn people to God. Every parent, especially of those small children, oh, there should be a desire to do everything they can to turn those children to go the way of the Lord. Because we're living in a day and time where there's a lot out here that would turn those children a different way. But there ought to be that enthusiastic desire. It will impact how we live our life. It will impact what we say. It will imp impact how we react to things. It will impact how we react to people. You see, our, our life many times may be the only thing people know about God is to see the difference that God makes in one's life. When we're going through difficult times and we, we're, we're going through things, are, bad things are happening. Things are happening that we would not have happened. Those are times that we have a great opportunity to let others see the difference God really makes in our life. It's, it's just a, an unbelievable thing. The key here, though, is uh, that enthusiastic desire to turn people to Jesus. Now, I want you to look back with me in verse 15. This is the exciting part to me. <laughs> now, remember this. Now, the angel, Gabriel, is telling Zacharias... Now, watch what he tells. He's told him they're going to have this son. And he says, for he will. Now, you may want to draw a circle around that word. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, when Gabriel said that, he's never even been conceived. He's never been born. Angel Gabriel is telling Zacharias, 
you and Elizabeth are going to have a son. I know you're old and I know she's barren, but this is what God's going to do. Now, this is not a virgin birth like Jesus. No, he went back home. She conceived. They gave birth. She did to the son. But here, the interesting thing is the angel is saying, not only is that going to happen, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And as I prayed about this scripture, the thought came to my mind, you know, that's what I want to be. I want to be, that's what you want to be. I pray, don't we all want to be? God look down and say, hey, not perfect, but God look down, not be ashamed. God look down and say, well, you know, he is great in my sight. She's great in my sight. You say, yes, we do, Pastor. How do we do it? Well, the very things we've looked this morning, I've mentioned the three. This separation from, to be separated to, be filled with the Holy Spirit, turn people to Jesus. Okay, these are specific things that we build into our life so that at some point out there, God can look down and say, okay, in my sight, great. Well, that's what God said would be through the angel Gabriel. Look at it again. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, someone says, well, how, how, was, how did John the Baptist become great? Now, we see these qualities, but how would the Bible say, the angel Gabriel say before he is ever born, he'll be great in the sight of the Lord? Well, look at his whole life. You say, well, how was he great in the sight of the Lord? I'll tell you. Now, don't quit on me on this because I'm going to finish it. He was beheaded. Say, oh, my gracious, are you suggesting we go out and somebody behead us? No. Turn with me in Matthew 14. I'll tell you exactly. It's how he finished his life was how he was great. These qualities made him that way. But let's go back in Matthew chapter number 14 and look at, look at how this thing wound up. You see how a person finishes their life when it relates to God is what matters because what happens after that is eternity. And eternity is eternity, either in heaven or in hell, but eternity is eternity. Now, let's remember what happened to John the Baptist. In chapter 14, you hopefully remember the story. I'll read a little of it. It said, that time Herod heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. Jesus was out doing all these miraculous things. And Herod, he said, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. He said, I, I, I know I had him killed, but evidently he's come back to life. And therefore, these powers at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him, put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. You remember the story? It, it's a sad story, really. Herod married his brother's wife, Herodias. And if you look down in verse 4, this is... And, and this made Herodias, and John the Baptist had something to say about this. John said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have her. Well, that's, that, he said that because it was right. It's because what God had taught. 
but it made Herodias furious. So she had her husband, Herod, put John in prison. And if you want to read an interesting story, just read on, on down through about verse uh, 12 in this chapter later today. But while in prison, Herod had a birthday and he had a big party. And at that party, his, this Herodias daughter was a dancer. And she danced in a way that fascinated Herod. And he said to her, listen, I, I've been so blessed by what you've done in this dance. Ask anything you want and it's yours, I'll give it to you. You remember what she did? She went to her mother and said, well, what shall I ask? And she said, she said, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so that's what she told Herod. And he regretted he had made that vow because he, he liked John. He, he liked to hear what he had to say, but he knew he had to keep his word. So they had John the Baptist beheaded and they brought his head on a platter to Herod. It's a, it's a sad, sad story. But now let me say something. <laughs> Listen, before John's head hit the ground, his soul was in heaven. He finished faithful. Now here's my, here's my message that God put on my heart for me as I prepared to preach a sermon to you. As I looked at all this and thought, you know, that verse, that verse back in Luke, I love it. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. I thought, God, that's, I want that to be how you see me. I, I think the people want that to be how you see them. How do we do it, God? Well, we, we have those things that, that the angel said, John was to do, but they just put him in, they were qualities built into his life, but he lived his life. And at the very end, he had stayed faithful to the truth of what God's word taught. Now you say, well, he was beheaded for it. Well, that's right. But all that died was his body. And instantly before his head hit the ground, he was already in heaven the angels had escorted him right to heaven. The very angels that we'll talk about this month. What a beautiful thing. Now, here's what I encourage you to do today. I don't know where you are in your journey with God. As we come into December, come into the end of the year, this is a key month to evaluate your Christian life. I do it. I look at my Bible reading plan. I look at my quiet time. I look at how I'm using my time. I just try to reflect on my life and say, now God, as I get ready to go into 2024, like show me changes I need to make. Show me adjustments I need to make. Show me things I need to give more time to. Other things I need to give less time to. It's just, this is a great evaluation time. We, we do it in a lot of different ways in our life. You know, we start looking to the new year. What's going to be different next year than this year? What do I need to do? Well, as we look at that, I was thinking, what a perfect morning, first Sunday in December, for us to just draw a line in the sand and say, okay, here we are today, December 3rd, 2023. There it is. Now, I don't know how long there is, but there's life out there. We all have life yet. God knows when the end of that is, but 
wouldn't it be a great thing this morning if we just said, God, what I'm going to do, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And God, with your help, I'm asking you to help me. I want to live the rest of my life on this earth faithful to you. So as you look down, you could say about me that I am great in the sight of the Lord. Not because I do great things, but because I have great faith and I've just tried to be faithful unto the Lord. I love that verse in the Revelation. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse that says, be faithful. Jesus said this to the church at Smyrna. said, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Now, Father God, I'm talking about something this morning we can all do. We will all one day die, but we're not dead today. We're alive. And God, I'm asking you to put in us a desire, an enthusiastic desire, and, and trust you to help us do it, that beginning today at a level we've never lived, for the remainder of our life, just stay faithful. Stay faithful. And God, that's what I believe you saw. That's what the angel was talking about when he said, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. God, that's what's going to matter. It's not going to be matter in my case how many sermons I've preached or how many buildings we've built or all those kind of things, God. No, what's going to really matter in the end is how faithful Charles Redmond has been to God. That's it. And God, that's true for everybody in this room. I'm asking you, God, give us a desire and a hunger and a thirst as we've never known to just simply be faithful. Now this morning, it's very, very possible. In fact, it's probable that some here in this room say, you know, I'm not sure I have the Holy Spirit living in me to help me do that. I've never, I've never trusted Jesus. Or I'm not completely certain I've trusted Jesus. Were I to die today, I'm not 100% positive that I'd go to heaven. Well, this morning, what a way to begin December at church. You can end that and you can settle that. You can know. This morning, if you've never asked him, or if you have and you're not certain of your salvation, just say, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you this morning, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me a Christian. I trust you, Jesus, to save me. And then, God, I pray this morning for others who would say, I've prayed that prayer 10 times, 10 times, 10 and more. I just don't have a peace about it. God, help them just say, Lord, maybe I'm saved, maybe not. But this morning, I settled my salvation. Today, I'm putting my complete trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins to save me and fill me with your spirit. Come live in me. I thank you today, God, I've settled my salvation. It's my prayer in Jesus' name.